Hey everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Zach and with me this week is uh, someone you may know, may not know, but someone who is a big name in the podcast industry. You might know him from uh, the show Reply All. It's Alex Goldman. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on the show. Thank you for being on the show. It was a... uh, so it was an interesting situation uh, for people who don't religiously follow my Twitter account, which should be most of you because you got to spend your time better than that, folks. Uh, I happened upon Alex saying that he liked Glob Herman somehow. I have no context for this. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was when I saw the tweet. I just know with my repartee, uh, when I see Glob Herman, I support Glob Herman. Uh, and wow, uh, turned into an interesting thing. So, uh, Alex, I guess for, uh, people who don't know, uh, what, what do you do and, uh, what's your relationship with comics? Uh, so I am a reporter. I work on a podcast called Reply All, which is, um, I would say along the lines of sort of the more public radio podcasts like This American Life, things like that. Mm-hmm. We do sort of deeply reported stories, um, nominally about the internet, but we try and do stories about whatever we find interesting. So mm-hmm. sometimes we can stray very far from the internet and then a bunch of people get on Twitter and say to me, Hey, I thought your podcast was about the internet. And I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and let's see my relationship with comics. I was a big X-Men fan and, and my relationship to comics is that I would say that I was a big X-Men fan from like 1988 to like 1990. I had a good you know 24 issue run of being a big x-men fan um and i i'm i'm like sort of a dilettante now i i still mm-hmm. i still watch the movies i still read it occasionally i have some friends who are real diehard comics fans um i have fallen off a little bit when it comes to to sort of the superhero genre well we uh we threw you into the deep end on this one i'll uh, uh... i know I'll uh, absolutely say that, uh, because, yeah, this episode is all about Glob Herman, who's a character that was invented in, like, 2002, I think is his first appearance, something like that. So, yeah, he came well after my my comic book period. Um, But I I follow um, the comic book writer Leah Williams on Twitter, because I think she's very funny and very smart. Leah, friend of the show, is absolutely great. We we are pro-Leah Williams here. In spite of the fact that I truly know a third of the character she talks about. Um, and most of the time when she's calling back to the era that I was I'm, I was a comic book fan, it's like to say, hey, you remember this character that you liked a lot? They're actually kind of problematic in this period of time. <laughs> but um, so, so that period, that would have been uh, like Follow the Mutants Australia Outback period. Yes, uh, exactly. Started Jim Lee stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember very clearly the first Jim Lee um, I remember it being a big deal and everybody talking about how revolutionary the art was. And I didn't understand at all what was such a big deal about that, the art. And then, um, and then in retrospect, I was like, oh, wow, this, this really does look different. It does feel different than other comics. Well, it's especially interesting coming off uh, that entire, 
that entire run of X-Men has just a killer art team. I mean, you're going from Mark Silvestri to Jim Lee. You're not exactly uh, trading down when you're looking at Silvestri art. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, good. So uh, these these three stories are vastly different uh, than the stuff that was going on in the late 80s. Uh, and we're going to jump into them right now. The first story that we uh, decided to cover today, it's a two-parter from the short-lived Spider-Man and the X-Men. Uh, it's issues four and five written by... Elliot Kalin, another podcaster from the show uh, The Flophouse, uh, which is, a if you listen to the McElroy stuff, which I know a lot of our listeners do, you will have heard uh, ads for that. Uh, they're on Maximum Fun and all that stuff. It's a fun movie show. Uh, but he wrote he wrote a couple issues of Spider-Man and the X-Men. Uh, R.B. Silva does art on the first one, and Marco Falia does art on the second. And this is a... This is an interesting era. So, Alex, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess you didn't know that Spider-Man was a teacher at the X-Men for a hot second. Uh, I certainly didn't, um, and it doesn't seem like he's particularly well liked or well trusted by anybody at the academy. No, they hate him. Apparently, to give you context that I just didn't uh, when when I sent you these issues, uh, Wolverine Wolverine got dead, and in his will, he wanted Spider-Man to hang out with the X-Men for six issues. Got it. It was fine. Okay. It it was a nice little thing, but he he gets a weird group of students. Uh, I I know for a fact none of these characters were around when you were uh, when you were reading comics. So what was your reaction to characters like uh, Ernst and Eyeboy and Shark Girl and Rockslide? Let's see. Uh, so I, a lot of these characters I liked mostly because I went in and wasn't entirely like. I didn't have any of the context for them, but they still seemed rich enough that like I was very interested in learning more about them. And a lot of them, their superpowers don't seem obvious at first. I right. still don't really know what Ernst's superpower is. I think it's super strength. She's old but strong, but also a teen. Uh, yeah, I was wondering about the outfits considering she was old. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. Shark, Shark Girl looks strong, but it doesn't see. I, I it's not clear to me if she can commune with other. Fish or I think any... she just looks like a shark and can swim. And then, um, no girl that that was the one that was the most difficult for me because she exists only in other people's minds. She uh, can't communicate. She communicates telepathically, but there are no thought bubbles that describe what she's saying. So you just sort of have to glean it from context. So interesting thing on that. Uh, no girl was a joke in the. Uh... In the Grant Morrison run of these comics, where there was another special class, and they would pull a prank on their teacher uh, by pretending there was a student called No Girl. Uh, and then the next writer on the book didn't realize it was a joke and just made her a character. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, look, the next writer on that book was a guy named Chuck Austin. And brother, there's a lot about Chuck Austin. That's a that's a whole story in and of itself. He's doing great now. He's an animation producer, did Steven Universe and all these other great shows, but oh, wow, his comics really. time, not great. <laughs> it reminded me of, um, do you know that in Street Fighter 2, in Street Fighter 2, when Ryu used to beat people, it, they, he used to say, you must defeat Shang Long to stand a chance. Do you remember that? Yes. I, I am Long quite the, aware. Like the uppercut, the, the dragon punch. But mm -hmm. everybody thought Shang Long was a character, so they made Shang Long a character later on. That's kind of that vibe. It's it's very much that vibe. 
Uh, but so this this story starts with Spider-Man and his weird class of weirdos challenging Beast uh, to a science fair off. Right, which is not. I mean, I guess that there's always a winner of the science fair, right? But I never, I've never thought about a science fair off or a science fair competition yeah, in the I way that it's portray- portrayed in this book. I've, I've got, I, I was a, me- I'm a mechanical engineer by trade, and I've never thought of competitive science uh, in the way that this one is, especially at the level that they're doing, because they're, they're doing comic book science and breaking all the laws of physics. Right. One of them created a cancer-detecting machine, and the other one created a portal to a space station. Right, right. The problem with that space station is, one, Beast's girlfriend is there. And then, two, it has been overrun by the Brood, which are a classic X-Men enemy, uh, who have the symbiotes, a classic Spider-Man enemy. You might know them as Venom. Right, right. I recognized it right away, even though it was on sort of like a bird woman, the, the symbiote. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's a... It's weird how tight into continuity this is because, like, that's that's a character, Deathbird. She's part of the Claremont run, you know, been around for ages, but it's very tied up in this in this goofy, you know, miniseries book about her pregnancy from, like, ten years beforehand and the most recent issues with her. It's a whole thing, but it doesn't really matter because they just kind of fight the brood and then go away. But they have to land, and luckily, we we have a good boy. His name's Glob. Uh, Robert is his Christian name, uh, <laughs> and and he's been struggling this whole issue, being the loser out of all of the losers. You know, one of the things I like about the Glob character is a is there's like a a bit of insane um, self awareness and like uh, the same and like an equal amount of sort of self obliviousness. Like Mm -hmm. he's not willing to admit that like he's a bit of a freak and might have like a difficult time with women say he's like incredibly confident in that respect. Oh, he Um, tries real hard, but he's also aware that he's like a, he's like a, an outcast and, and like doesn't really have like a place in this world, partly because again, uh, and I, again, it's one of the things that I like about him. He doesn't have obvious superpowers aside from sort of being invulnerable to heat and um, being, you know, slightly stronger, faster, and and more agile than the average human being. Like he's not a super superhero. He's just your no. a superhero. He's a skeleton floating in a bowl of jelly. It's a it's a weird weird vibe, but I dig it. Right, and so getting to, to so having to return to Earth, they sort of slap him on the front of uh, the spaceship, and um, he he shields the spaceship f- during reentry, um, which uh, the people in the uh, in the cockpit are saying must be excruciating, and he says something like, "This is really uncool, dude." <laughs> I, I believe his line is, "This sucks so much." Right, that's it. <laughs> I only know that because I've had that saved on my phone for about four years. No, it's it's good. I I like the voice. Uh, Kaylin, I think, struggles a bit on creating a tight plot on this. There's an overarching plot throughout all of these about some sort of traitor or mole within the uh, within this X Men class, uh, and it never really gets paid off that well, even when it does get resolved in a later issue. Uh, right. But I do love his comedic voice. You can tell that you know stand up and improv is where he's coming from, and I think he really shines when he gets to do those small beats where you know people are just making casual jokes with each other. Right. I, I mean, 
the dialogue within the uh, fight, within the fights is very funny. It complements really well the actual action, um, which doesn't always work. Um, and uh, also, um, the characters seem very aware of the inherent silliness of the world that they live in, and everybody sort of. Um, I guess a sort of metatextually commenting on, you know, oh, now we're traveling through a portal to a space station. Oh, now we're now we're fighting symbiotes. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing that. Like everybody seems fully aware of how bizarre everything is. They are. I I think you make a good point when you're commenting about the the uh, fight scenes of this and the art in this. These are two fabulous artists in general. R.B. Silva uh, just recently helped relaunch the X books uh, over last summer and. It was some absolutely gorgeous work. Uh, in the same way, Marco Falia has been doing some really fantastic work on the books that came out of that. However, I don't think either of them are anywhere near their peak in this one. Silva especially looks unrecognizable versus the stuff he was doing in, say, Powers of X uh, just a few months ago. Um, and sort of... Is this, is this sort of how how old is this this particular? This series? was this was 2015, so not okay. too terribly long ago. I don't know, but long enough that people have a uh, you know developed new styles and stuff. This was early in both of their professional careers. Right, right. But no. So overall, uh, what what's your takeaway from this uh, these couple issues? You enjoy it, not enjoy it, or? I mean, where, I enjoy. Where'd you I fall enjoyed on this? It. It felt a little slight. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the this is the problem as a as a connoisseur of the um, Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. One of the difficulties of a bunch of wisecrackers is that um, it doesn't give you time to feel the emotional weight of anything. These two particular issues were pretty action packed and wisecrack packed, so they were fun. They were like a fun diversion, and it sort of felt like. Um, like what crazy thing are they going to throw at me next? <laughs> but um, but I enjoyed them. I thought they were fun to read. Well, that that's good. Now we have another uh, we have another two issue arc from this series on the list right now. By the way, guys, we rank all of our stories on a massive list of every X Men story ever, pending us actually getting to every story ever. Uh, it's from number one, which is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, number 321 is the Draco. Uh, between that, at 100, we have... What do we have at 100 right now? Is it all new dupe still? It is. It's all new dupe. Uh, Dupe's another X-Men character that's weird that you would not know about, and that's fine. So, uh, he's so a, he's he a floating ap- green potato. He appears on a screen in the Mojo comic. Oh, now. yes, he does. He and does. so... I, I had to try I was trying to figure out who is this character that appears in, on the screen um, and so I googled um, I googled X-Men X-Men that looks like Slimer and Dupe came up right away <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's the X-Men got real meta at one point in like 2001 and uh, Dupe Dupe came out of that he's a cameraman he lives in uh, the space between uh, the comic panels it's a whole thing. So he is he the person who is take who is filming the action that I am reading? In some stories, yes. I I like that approach though cuz it it makes it an idea that Dupe could be anywhere at all times and I think that's a that's a good angle for him. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to 
sit and percolate on that one, but that's good. That kind of reminds me of um, in Super Mario 64, they had to justify the existence of the camera behind Mario. So Wild was... that they thought they had to do that now that I think about that. Right. I mean, it felt very obvious to us. Uh, to It feels very obvious to us now, but third-person gaming in a 3D environment didn't exist before then. Right. So they had uh, Laikidu carrying a camera in the background of of, of him at the beginning of the uh, game. That's that's about the situation with Dupe a lot of the time. Uh, moving on, we got at 200, the X-Men Gold one-shot. At 300, we have Onslaught, uh, which luckily you left comics before you had to suffer through that. Uh, you know, could have been worse. Now, on this list, we do have uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men 1 and 2, the time that Sauron didn't want to cure cancer. He wanted to turn people into dinosaurs. Uh, uh, what? What? Oh, uh, you, you, do you know Sauron, uh, the, uh, the pterodactyl man? Yes. Yeah, uh, I'm, he, he once in this series was turning people into dinosaurs and Spider-Man took, uh, took umbrage to that saying, you know, you're really smart. You could like cure cancer or something. And Sauron, knowing himself, did say, I don't want to cure cancer. I just want to turn people into dinosaurs. (laughs) Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's it is the best thing Kalen wrote in this entire uh in this entire uh, arc. It's an incredibly choice panel. Uh but no, so I think this is this is a little bit worse than that, but around the same vein, uh at 185 is Legion Quest, which I think is a bit better than this as well. Uh but probably on par with something like the Jeff Parker Exiles. Or uh, probably better than uh, Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction. So I think we're going to slide this in right below Marvel Comics Presents 10 through 17, Colossus God's Country, where Colossus uh, has a crisis of faith about how both communism and capitalism are actually bad. Uh, And Ascenti was not a subtle uh, writer. But above the Generation X holiday special where they meet Santa. I will say that all of the things you're describing have this going on for them. As a casual dabbler in the comic book world, like uh, especially with the film, with the filmic versions of these characters, like they mm-hmm. they hew to very well worn tropes. Nothing right. surprising happens. It's all action, and occasionally they do it to interesting effect. But uh, it's mostly um, pretty conventional. And I also think that they've kind of been fucking up the X-Men in the filmic universe for the past few years. Um, well, it's been a whole thing. Logan was great. But my wife my wife did buy me a Blu-ray copy of Dark Phoenix, and I had to fake a smile and be like, I never want to watch this again, babe. <laughs> I eagerly watched it and was like, because, I, I mean, I love the Dark Phoenix saga, obviously. It's right? very good. It's a huge touchstone in the in the comic book world. So I was like, you know, they're definitely going to f*** it up, but how bad could they f*** it up? And I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. Uh, what, you know, what really causes some of that is this this interference from the film industry, and right. especially those executive bigwigs, those who I'm going to blame, executive bigwigs like Mojo, uh, who is the star of the next book we're going to talk about, X-Men Black Mojo. This was a one-shot from 2018, Written by Scott Ackerman from Comedy Bang Bang and a Man, lot of other stuff. Podcast studded episode, huh? It look, 
You said Glob Herman, and it turns out a lot of podcast people have written Glob Herman. It's only the two, but still. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really, um, this one I thought was, um, it was a weird, this is one of those comics that I like because it, there was not really any action and the action was only in service of trying to make a character have an epiphany. And I was like, oh, this is a, this is kind of a a great, a great thing to happen in a comic. Now, Mojo, I remember, I'm familiar with, um, but the, the Glob character is playing like the unassuming sort of, uh, uh, br- sort of like dumb, uh, happy-go-lucky bro in this particular. He's, comic. He is he is the best friend in a romantic comedy. Like yeah. if it was if it was mid two thousands, Chris Pratt would be playing this character. <laughs> That's a good point. You're right. Because this this whole thing, Mojo opens this up with a big rant about how you know people are ruining characters and they're just trying to be more politically correct and i don't care about any of that stuff i just want all my old stuff back uh so he goes to earth uh because also he has a crush on uh this lady who goes to a coffee shop runs into uh glob herman who tries to give him some romantic advice uh but mojo's uh majordomo majordomo uh is not a fan of this and tries to get mojo uh to go back to being evil and fighting it by sending a sentinel. Uh, that leads Mojo to say, I don't want to be that evil anymore. This is quite a character turn for this, for this particular, um, for this particular villain. Um, is this a permanent turn or is this just a sort of one-off? So far, the only thing that I know that has happened with Mojo is that he's hung out in Mojo world, which yes, he's a tyrannical despotic leader, there and uh, a pretty horrible person but also not screwed with the x-men so you know chalk it up to like a half victory um okay that's fine he did he did help the x-men get all of their streaming services bundled for one low cost very recently and i'm not making that up that's a true thing that did happen (laughs) see this is what i mean about things that would never happen in the in the in the movies the closest we got is like them eating shawarma at the end of the original avengers but like uh um, I really, I enjoyed Glob a lot in this one, but the, the story on this one, it was really light. It was almost, there was like not much to it unless there's important context that I'm missing. Oh, there's absolutely not. So this was <laughs> to, to put this in context, X-Men Black was a one month experiment that they did because they had a big, uh, like 12 week story that they were going to do that. They were canceling a bunch of books to kick off. But it wasn't going to be ready in time, so they had to have a buffer month. And this was a story in the buffer month. Uh, so X-Men Black number one is one in a series of one? There's – no, because – okay, so you'll you'll be a good outside perspective because I'm – I am – I'm no longer phased by this stuff. Uh, there were five X-Men Black number ones. Uh, yeah, I am phased by that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So they did they all release at the in in order? So it was like one 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 and then it two, was it was no, it was just one 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 and then it was done. Uh the only the only through line through them there is a backup story by uh Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler about apocalypse uh right. that we're not going to talk about here because that's like number 2 in a five-part story that I tend to enjoy a lot uh but is devoid of any context. You know, I hear a lot of stuff about people complaining about, I don't know, you know, comic book sales and like 
the relative inaccessibility of them. And I'm not here to tell anybody how to do their jobs. But um, it just seems like, you know, we number the episodes of our podcast sequentially so uh, people know what they've already listened to and how to find them. And That's a wild move, Alex. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Back when I was reading comics, the craziest thing that ever happened was they would do like an issue zero, which was like a preview of what was coming up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now they do two issue zeros. Uh, the upcoming event, Empire, had, spelled with a Y, of course, does mm-hmm. have two different issue zeros. Uh, and when I got that press release, I did shake my head in shame. That one, at least, I said, no, you guys, you can't do that. To be fair, I am somewhat familiar with, you know, the fact that there's like six six uh, video games called Mortal Kombat and then like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, uh, Call of Duty, this and that. Like every game, like whenever a game has been rebooted enough times, it's given the name of the game that came before it, like Doom right. 2016, you know? Um it is. It does. It, we've got. We've come to the point where, like, honestly, could be worse. But uh, they're really pushing it in the comic book world. They they like they like to use the comics as a bit of an experiment in uh, sequential numbers. Uh, but I'd I'd say beyond that, there's a lot to like in this comic. Uh, I think Nick Bradshaw's art, especially in the first half of this, is great. He has a very expressive mojo, a glob who is incredibly casual, and I do love and want to give him a hug. And then Andre Lima Rajo at the uh, at the end does a very serviceable job, though I do think that he's done better work uh, in other stories like Journey into Mystery, uh, written by the McElroy family. Who yeah, I yeah. guess we have to, we have to hit a third podcast uh, dynasty in this one. I um I actually really liked. I thought that the the scenes the the like backgrounds in the first half, uh, both in New York City and in Mojo World were really vivid and I really enjoyed them. Bradshaw is very much comes from the school of like Art Adams or someone like that who may have been around. He actually created Mojo uh, back with Ann Nascenti, uh in the 80s and he has a very detailed style. Ended up being the guy that really influenced, you know, like Rob Liefeld's and Jim Lee's and all those uh, early 90s guys. Right. Uh, and yeah, Bradshaw is definitely a more modern take on that and someone whose work I really tend to enjoy. Uh, but I'd say, I'd say this comic, it has a lot of snappy dialogue, a lot of stuff that's fun. Uh, but I'd agree. It's a pretty slight in essential comic. It's, it's not shocking that this was on a throwaway month. Right. Right. And I don't know if Scott, I only know Scott Ackerman from, you know, comedy. I don't know if he does longer arcs, but I'm wondering if they get a little more, if a little deeper. Cause I know he does, does write comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I'm trying to think of the stuff he's written. Most of it has been pretty one-off, uh, which honestly I think has more to do with his uh, schedule than anything else. Right. Uh, and they tend they tend to be good, but not necessarily the deepest of stories. No, well, what can you do with 23 pages or 22 pages? What is it's, the average comic? 23. 20. It's right now. It's 20 pages, and it's tough. Oof. Yeah. Uh. So, you know, it won't shock you that people tend to write for the trade, which we'll talk about in our next story. But first, we've got to rank this one. How did you feel about this compared to the Spider-Man and the X-Men story? I would say I liked it slightly more just because of the art and because of sort of the the sense of humor of it. It definitely felt tone, more tonally consistent than the other ones. 
I think that's definitely uh, definitely true. I'm looking around on some of the uh, stories we've got in that area, and I think you're about right. It's in that spot because you know just a few up from that is uh, some good stuff like uh, the arc where Wolverine uh, fights sentient cocaine. Uh, is that is that from the 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 War on Drugs era, or is that like uh, a more modern <laughs> a more modern? I mean, take? it's like that's like 1990. That's a okay. Yeah, that's like I think of. George George Bush Sr. Is- I don't think it's better than that. I don't think it's better than Brood Trouble and the Big Easy, where the Brood uh, hang out in New Orleans, and Ghost Rider and the X-Men have to fight them in a very pretty issue uh, that is completely slight. Uh, what I'd say is it's probably better than uh, the Nation X arc. Hmm, is it better than... Uh, now I'm arguing with myself. Normally, my uh, co-host, Adam, uh, he uh, argues with this for me. And he is not here right now, so I can say that this is better than a story he likes, Uncanny X-Men 300. Okay. Uh, but that worse seems kind of unfair that you get to decide, you get to uh, you get to out, out, out rule, overrule him just because he's not Well, there. he's the one who decided to take a two-month hiatus. Oh, uh, well, okay. That's his <laughs> problem then. It it really is. I've told him he has to catch up on all this stuff when, uh, when he comes back. Not fair to the listeners otherwise. Totally, totally. And and also, he's not allowed to... My rule, once he comes back, and you can tell him I said so... I will. Is, ...is that he's not allowed to object to any of the rankings you gave, because he's the one who decided to go on hiatus. Them's the rules. That's that's a very good rule. Adam, we love you. Uh, <laughs> next next on the list, however, is a is a longer arc. This, one, this one's a lot less slight, I would say. It's part of the Age of X-Man event from earlier this year... It's essentially a Glob Herman miniseries totally. set in an alternate universe where it's like 1984, uh, Brave New World kind of dystopia, but everything seems good from the outside, uh, taking place in the school. It's Next Gen, written by Ed Brisson, with art by Marcus Toe, uh, with uh, Lucas Wernrich uh, picking up duties right at the end because Marcus Toe had to go relaunch Excalibur or something. Um. I actually really enjoyed this series. It felt good because it's good. Thank you. <laughs> it it had like a almost a genre vibe to it. Um, it felt like it drew inspiration from like a Black Mirror style of um, like dystopian fiction where everything feels not quite right, but no one can quite put their finger on it. And um, one of the things that I liked about it is I kept expecting there to be a lot more explanation of things, and it left enough up to the imagination to to make it feel it, – it captured a rare quality, I feel like, which is um, the quality of something being unsettling because of the mystery mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I just really – I really enjoyed it. I thought that it was like – I thought that the art was really beautiful. Um I, if I have to choose, I would say that I am a fan of the Glob Herman whose eyeballs dangle outside of his sockets on on nerves, which is not the case in the uh, in the Mojo issue. So right. I liked the rendering of 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 Glob. Glob was it is not a hero, so to cast him as the hero is um, an interesting choice. It's it's interesting. So Ed Brisson, the writer of this comic has been on our show before, uh, and he is uh, arguably the world's largest Glob Herman fan, in so much that he probably has had the most to do with Glob since uh, he has gotten to write the books. He wrote a a good story called Glob Loves Man Kills, which I had to buy for the name alone. 
<laughs> I don't blame. You. But no, it, I I think it's a it's a bold choice to put Glob there, especially because you know he's still with the school. The way this story is laid out is all of the you know mutant students are divvied up into different occupations. So people who are going to be politicians, people who are going to be you know agriculture livestock. Uh, keepers people who are going to be some of the police and the enforcers of this world it's all kind of spread out and glob you know he's taking care of the chickens and it's a important role it's a good role but i think everyone in the school would agree it's not the most prestigious role especially from an outside view it's a it's a very uh you know hands-on job right and he he's the only one who knows that this world is wrong and he has to try and piece this together and bring his friends into it while stopping uh, the fact that some of the mutants know that things are wrong, but they aren't uh, processing it healthy ways uh, and are instead moving to some domestic terror activities, which isn't great. And they shouldn't do that. Maggot, my boy, I love you. Please don't blow up any more libraries. Uh, uh, I was curious, like, uh, as someone who, again, hasn't read any of these comics in ages, are all of these characters, the characters that sort of made up the core team in this, which was basically like, it was Glob, Rockslide. Um, now the names are all escaping me. Uh, Anole, Pixie, and Armor. Right. Are they sort of are they in the sort of main cast, or are they more supporting characters? All of these are supporting characters, which is interesting. Armor has been a was a main cast member in a. Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's Astonishing X-Men, which is kind of a tentpole book. But even then, she was she was the Kitty Pride role, the Jubilee. She was the student with the uh, mm-hmm. with the older uh, adults. And for better uh, or worse, I feel like those characters a lot of times were mirrors for the sort of more established characters to reflect off of, and were kind of like comic relief sometimes. Especially Jubilee, I feel like was. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's nice to it's nice to see minor characters get some shine every once in a while especially since like a lot of times people project a lot onto those characters because they are kind of blank slates and it's nice to see how other people what other people have projected onto them and 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 watch someone flesh them out a little bit which is which is definitely the case here because these are these are as much as they have their fans, these are the ones that don't get a lot of attention. So giving them more to do and giving them agency in this alternate reality where a bunch of the you know core X-Men are out doing some other stuff in other books, having these guys be the ones that know something's wrong and trying to you know fix it for this next generation, it's very interesting. Uh, the story that was leading into this that kicked off this whole alternate reality thing was a battle between a character named X-Man, who has a bad name and is from the 90s, and he's bad, and I love him. Uh, He's horrible. I was once cursed with all 75 issues of his uh, original series bound in, like, hardback, nice leather volumes. So X-Man is an X-Man? Oddly enough, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, okay, fine. His name is X-Man. He does not normally work with the X-Men. It's you can see why there's some issues with him as a character. He's he's damaged goods. Uh but it was a it was a story about, you know, him going up against a character David Haller Legion, uh 
you know, from the very good FX TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but both of them are, uh, you know, children of someone. Legion's uh, Charles Xavier's child. X-Man is a genetic child clone thing of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. Okay. So the whole, the whole point of that story leading into this was the grandchildren of the Adam. You know, what's the next generation going to do with the foundations that were built? And I like that next gen is what they use to, you know, keep that story alive and saying, you know what? The you have your chance to build something, but it's going to go away. You're going to go away, and someone else is going to have to take that up. And what they do with it's going to be, you know, the next interesting thing. It's something to think about. And I love seeing that in next gen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, again, this was like this was a a a series where there was certainly action, but the action really took the a backseat to sort of the psychological and uh, dramatic issues that were taking place in this thing. And it's tantalizingly unclear exactly what's going on. All that we know is that Glob, due to the wax that surrounds him, is not subject to some kind of mind control or sort of mind wiping Mm -hmm. that's going on. And as a result, he, he becomes convinced that the world that he's in is not real. But it's never established what the real world is, where he is, um, how in on it the figures of authority are. Um, All we know is that um, he sees something that no one else sees. And there are even a few, there's even, I would say, a few parts of a few issues where I was like, huh, is he crazy? Is he the crazy one? Like, is he mistaken? And is he just leading all of his friends down this path? That's an interesting take. Like, just so from my perspective, I I had all the context for everything. You know, either from reading all the other stories that were around it or from just the meta context of I know what's coming three months later because I keep up with, you know, what the new releases right. are and things like that. So, you know, I, I am not able to have that perspective. But that's very interesting to see that. And I think there's a lot of credence to that because this ends with a downer ending. They end up in prison. They they lose at the end of this one. They absolutely lose. And Glob is trapped in prison, being the only person who remembers anything, uh, having his friends perpetually re- reintroduce themselves to him because their minds are constantly getting wiped. It's like a very sad ending. It absolutely is. Uh, this was one of my favorite series of uh, the Age of X-Men event as it was coming out. I really enjoyed it. I think it hit a lot of those notes that we talked about. And I think if you guys may have skipped on Age of X-Man, which I know a lot of people did, and that's fine, uh, but you're wrong, and go back and check this out. It's all on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, it's all on uh, Comixology for pretty pretty darn cheap. So uh, go pick this one up. Uh, so you'd say this was your favorite of the bunch, Alex? Uh, by, by far it was my favorite. Yeah, I really like this one too. And again, Adam's not here to stop me. Yeah, make uh, it the number one. This is the new number one. <laughs> As much as I'd like to do that, I, I also really can't. I, I would really love that's, to. That's true. I just, I'm just, um, I'm a fan of. So, so I, I have a co-host on my show. His name's PJ Vogt, and mm-hmm. um, part of what our show, part of the sort of engine that drives our show is our antagonism. So, if I sure. had this kind of, um, if I had this kind of power, the power that you have right now to sort of do whatever I wanted, I would just be flipping tables. I'd just be going crazy. That was my. That's where that impulse came from. I certainly don't recommend it. Well, look, I appreciate the energy. It's the kind of energy I do like to bring to uh, this show as well. Uh, 
but I'm looking at some of the stuff we have, and I think this is better than at number 87, the Howard the Duck uh, end of that, where he fights Mojo also, now that I think about that. Hmm. Uh, I like it better than those comics that came with uh, the X-Men Pizza Hut Happy Meals, uh, which are at 79 right now. They're actually pretty good comics. I just think this is better. Uh, I would say I like this. Mm. I think this is about on par with Planet X from New X-Men, where Magneto took over all of New York, except for it wasn't Magneto. It was a guy pretending to be... It was... A guy pretending to be Magneto, pretending to be himself. I'm sorry. Say again? Uh, his name was Zorn, and he pretended to be Magneto, uh, but then Magneto was pretending to be this guy named Zorn, different than Zorn's twin brother, Zorn. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's bad, actually. Actually, the story's great. Uh, then the next writer said, oh, wait, we had Magneto leading people into gas chambers. That's a bad look. We want to still use him. Ian McKellen's very famous and popular in 2004. So did it turn out to be a dream or something, or did they just move away from that? No, it turned out to be a guy pretending to be Magneto, oh, pretending okay. to be himself instead yeah, of just yeah. Magneto doing a bad thing. Got it. Um, that's a, That, I would say, is probably the thing that must be very frustrating as a comic book writer, is that the person who comes along after you has their own sort of you know wallet full of ideas and will generally just take all the ideas that you have established over whatever your run may be and just tosses them off the desk into the garbage can and starts over i think it can be that way and there's certainly been situations where that has happened but there is a the current writer on the x uh, line uh, jonathan hickman he has a uh, saying that he likes to put and say you know when you're working with big two properties, you know, your Supermans, your Batmans, your Wonder Womans, your Spider-Mans, all of those guys, those aren't your toys. End, end of the day, it's your job to do something fun with them, get them out, play with them, and then put them back and not break them. You can change them. You can you can add or move stuff from the toy box, but don't break anything. Right. I mean... And I, th- I think that's the, that's the key to that stuff is... As long as the character changes that you're making aren't going to destroy everything, uh, normally they'll stick around. Like Jubilee, you know, that spunky teen sidekick now. Now she's a mom and has a baby and everyone's been afraid that someone's going to throw that away. But now that baby's a dragon and people just keep finding new ways to do stuff with the baby. (laughs) It's only a dragon when you're in the magical world of Otherworld. Excuse me. I'm sorry. He's a baby all the other times. Got it. Got it. Um, that's really, that's really wild. Um, I mean, personally, I like seeing characters grow up and get old. And there was a period of time, at least when I was reading X Men, when the notion was that people don't age, or there were a couple characters that didn't age anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that was sort of that was Wolverine's thing, and it, it led to a lot of sameness in Wolverine's oeuvre. Um, right. Which is not to say he hasn't been taken in some really interesting directions, but um, I I do think that, like, I like seeing where people take stuff. I mean, you know, like, who could have predicted what Alan Moore did with Swamp Thing? I'm so totally dating myself, right? Uh, But, uh, but, but um, you're right. Yes, there is a, there is a problem where people do break stuff sometimes. Right. Now, I don't think Next Gen broke anything. Oh, Uh, no. I think it added to these characters and actually in a very pointed way 
added to our understanding of the characters without changing the characters at all. Uh, kind of bring it back to Stan Lee's whole illusion of change uh, theory of editorial where, you know, Spider-Man's always going to be, like, at this point in his mid-20s and he can't change that much past then because these are big corporate IP properties. Like, they, they can only they can only shift so much, so you have to find different ways to still tell a fulfilling story and still go all the way through an emotional arc but not, you know, push the character to a completely different place. Uh, I say all that to say that I think this is just a little bit under Planet X, right under the new X-Men Legion, but above Ultimate X-Men World Tour as our number 65, because I was going to forget to rank this thing. Uh, I'm just going to have to take your word for it, because I don't know those other those other arcs. But yeah, that's, that's fine. Most of the people that listen to this show, I'm starting to get the feeling do not religiously read X-Men at the unhealthy level that I do, so it's fine. It all works right. out. But that's good. That's a... That's all three of our stories today. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for uh, being on. I hope you uh, hope you learned a little bit about everyone's favorite purple or pink skeleton boy. Oh, I did. I learned a lot more than I than I had already than I already knew, and um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was it was my pleasure. Now, if people uh, if people want to check you out, where can they uh, where can they find your stuff at? What do you got going on? What do you got to plug? Uh, they can find it at replyallshow.com. Um, which is the website for our show. Um, we're on all platforms. Um, our show is owned by Spotify, so if you want to go to Spotify, that will help me with my bosses. Um, some of our favorite episodes, the one if you want to get started with our podcast, listen to episodes 102 and 103. That's the one that every those are, they're called long distance. That's the one that everybody seems to like the best. It's all downhill from there. And if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Reply All, and I'm at A Goldmund, G-O-L-D-M-U-N-D, because A Goldman was taken. Um, thanks so much for having That's me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on. Now, next week, guys, we have a very special guest. Uh, Adam's back. Adam. Adam's hiatus is done. Uh, so we're going to talk about Rogan Gambit, because that's what was next on the list. Uh, but it'll be great. Until then, guys, this has been Bow the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!